It's our Mizzou game plan on your home for the Tigers. The Big 550 KTRS, Brendan Weesey, sports columnist from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, Ben Fredrickson. We talk all things Mizzou for the next two hours. Uh, we may branch off, uh, you can go a different direction here and there, but glad to have Ben with me. We'll talk some hoops later. Eli Hoff covers the Tigers for the Post-Dispatch. Our good friend Chris Roseman from the St. Louis Sports Commission coming up as they'll have uh, some Friday night heights next week at Family Arena. Mizzou Gymnastics, big deal, Zoo to the Lou. I don't know if we call it Part 4 or Part 5, but another great installment of Zoo to the Lou next week. We'll talk to Chris about that, and we'll make some picks for tomorrow. Gary Pinkle on the College Football Playoff Committee. Mizzou in the Super Bowl. And I'll try to avoid getting too angry about Torrey Holt not being in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That's separate <laughs> from Mizzou, Ben. But I know we won't have a chance to talk about that much until maybe Sunday or next week. Just real quick, angry and maybe most angry because a guy like Andre Johnson, whose numbers are inferior to Torrey Holt, and the fact that he's never been to a Super Bowl at all, let alone having won one. Torrey's been the two obviously a championship i just i can't really wrap my head around what the committee is thinking heck i put reggie wayne in ahead of andre johnson and yeah. a big game tory holt's got to wait another year so i'm not happy about that yeah just quickly on it um there are some guys in the hall of fame at the receiver position that you could say well maybe i put a victoria in ahead of them but you can't argue of the timing too much it's just a matter of time that's kind of been where i'm at this is the first year I felt like, man, with that decision of Andre Johnson in before Torrey, that looks like a mistake to me. Um, Torrey averaged four yards per reception. He had more career receiving touchdowns than Andre Johnson. He also, like you said, not only played in a championship, won one. Um, Torrey's got numbers that are, are, are better. Whatever credentials you can point to for Johnson, Torrey can – Tory can can match if not beat. Uh, this one felt like an oversight to me, and I would argue that people championing Reggie Wayne's case probably feel the same way. Uh, I, I don't disagree that Andre Johnson should be a Hall of Famer, but he needed to wait until after Tory Holt. This guy has been a five-time finalist. Johnson was in his third year of eligibility. This to me was uh, that was a mistake. And even Devin Hester too is weird. As I mean, I mean that's kind of a gadget. Yeah, I get it. Like, I, yeah. He's kind of different positions. But, I don't. I don't necessarily see him as a receiver. He's. I think he went in as like a punt returner. Right. And you can make the case. I mean, he was electric. He was. He was a guy who was must watch at that position. It's fair. I, I don't. I don't have a beef with that because to me that's not what. That's not the position that kept Tory Holt from getting in. That, that's fair. Probably. It's, it's, well, you weren't in the room, so we don't, we, we don't we know. Weren't, we weren't, and it just it feels like a, a rather steep misstep by the committee. And again, it's much different than how they vote baseball, where it's a it's a it's a ballot, it's a secret ballot, if you will, until you want to make it public. These are guys in a room that get together and vote. And I, I know our old colleague Jim Thomas tweeted out this afternoon that maybe some of the voters were just tired of putting guys from the greatest show on turf in that they've that they've had enough guys representing that team if that's the reason i know jt's just quoting what he's hearing from other guys if that's the reason it's got to be the most ridiculous reason i've ever heard yeah i agree um and jt just doesn't throw stuff out there right i know yeah somebody telling him that um and that's bogus i want to compliment and commend howard balzer for being the guy who goes to bat for tory um you know howard's efforts got isaac in and he'll continue to 
make the case for Tory, but if he's dealing with folks who are kind of over the St. Louis greatest show on turf era, then that's disappointing because if you if you look at Tory's numbers on paper, um, they're worthy. And to me, you can make just as good of a case that the fact that he put up those numbers while playing with so many other weapons was even more impressive. Where else, where else was Tex, the Texans going to go with the ball but Andre Johnson? I mean, you actually had to um, bring a lot to the table to get consistent opportunity in those greatest show on turf eras, um, big era because you had Marshall, you had Isaac Bruce, you had, you know, you had other guys who could do different things. That to me makes it better. And also the idea that okay, well, he only did it with Kurt Warner. It's not true. He had one of his most prolific seasons with Mark Bolger. So that that thing about well, you know, he played with the Hall of Fame quarterback, and that's why the numbers are better. It's not true. And and if it was true, then he wouldn't have had one of his better seasons with Mark Bolger at quarterback. Well, we've got to wait. Tory's got to wait another year, and I'm bummed about it. We got a whole other year to talk about this. Yeah, we do. We do. <laughs> we got to get him on. What? He can break down the numbers, and and I I give him credit. He he said, "I'll I'll take this on. I'm going to campaign for myself a little bit." So we should get him on and talk to him about definitely, this. definitely. We want to give him that opportunity as as we we present the stats. He'd be even more convincing trying to back himself up. So uh, that is a great call. But shifting gears, Mizzou, it is our Mizzou game plan. And again, how about, you know, so we, we get these NFL honors and the Pro Football Hall of Fame announcement Super Bowl weekend. Mizzou very prominent in this Super Bowl weekend, and namely because of Nick Bolton. And I know there are some guys that have performed well as Mizzou alums or, or former Missouri players, a guy like a Justin Smith with the 49ers back in 2012 you think about what I mean he was one of the best players in the NFL I I don't know if we think about him as a great Super Bowl player but here we are Ben an opportunity for Nick Bolton to win his second Super Bowl and be one of the great non-first round picks I mean here's somebody that the Chiefs got in an absolute steal he's a big part of this defensive resurgence under Steve Spagnuolo so I'm excited about Nick Bolton if there are things to get excited about in this non-NFL town of St. Louis for the Super Bowl it would be cheering on Nick Bolton and if it gives me a reason to cheer on the Chiefs I guess maybe I can cheer on the Chiefs. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And um, look, Nick Bolton has turned into a huge player for the Chiefs. He missed a big chunk of the season. I think he missed like six weeks or so. He had a wrist injury. I think it had had to have surgery. He came back and was playing. He was a tough guy. Um, I've been impressed with what they've done, obviously, with him, how they played without him, and how they've overcome some injuries for this team. But now that they're back, they've got him back, I think they're a, they're a better team. We're seeing that in the postseason. And he's right there in the thick of it um, for this uh, for this Chiefs defense. And I don't know that it's um, – does any element of the Super Bowl not get talked about enough? What a cliche. I mean, everything gets analyzed to, to infinity and beyond. But to me, the one of the more interesting storylines of this game that isn't Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift is this Chiefs defense because they've been killing it in the postseason after what has been a really impressive year – Spags has a chance, and I don't know how most St. Louis folks feel about Spags. I, I kind of sense uh, I'm, it's kind of fun to watch him have this, uh, be able to, in some ways, make the his failure here as the St. Louis Rams head coach a footnote in his career instead of the headline. And 
that's what he's done with this coordinator stint in Kansas City. He's going to have a chance on Sunday to be the first coordinator uh, to to win four Super Bowls. Um, it's pretty – no offensive or defensive coordinator has done that before. That's pretty remarkable, and he's got Nick Bolton at the, the heart of this thing. But what jumps out is that the Chiefs in the postseason, man, they've been allowing like less than two touchdowns per game against – uh, opponents that have really good quarterbacks that have been ever scoring double of that. And that's a, you look at defenses like that, that have made it to the Super Bowl, they win um, in modern times. I mean, the Ravens have done it. The Seattle Seahawks have done it. Um, and I believe there was, uh, there's been one other team that's just had such a dominant defense, the Bucks back in the early 2000s and they all won. So I think Nick Bolton as a key thing in this game is, is big. Um, and other Mizzou ties there too with Andy Reid and some guys on his coaching staff, Andy Hill, Dave Taub. Those guys all kind of came up through the ranks at Mizzou and still maintain their Mizzou ties. So I do think that's been an easy thing for St. Louis-based Mizzou fans to feel like, okay, there are some Mizzou angles here to, to feel good about the Chiefs. I can I can get behind it. And I think Nick Bolton is a hey, – he's Nick Bolton's got a touchdown in, in Super Bowl history. He's already done that. So let's see if he can – I'm not sure if that would tie or break a record. I got to imagine there are multiple defensive players that have more than one defensive touchdown. But I feel like Nick, Nick Bolton's got uh, some time in his career, and what better way to pad that stat than scoring another touchdown come Sunday afternoon? Chiefs and 49ers from Las Vegas. How about maybe the biggest Mizzou story of the week, Ben? The anonymous donor. A gift of over $60 million, and it comes as we learn the the revenue per team that the SEC is going SEC teams bring in, SEC schools bring in. I believe it's somewhere north of $50 million. This gift is basically an extra year of SEC revenue that you would gain as a Southeastern Conference institution. So what Mizzou is going to be able to do with this money is pretty extraordinary. And I think it sends a statement out there, Ben, that Mizzou, with the the season they've just accomplished, and, and going all the way back to what they did last year in basketball, I know things aren't great at the moment, but it's just been a, a spectacular year. And when you've got an anonymous donor willing to dole out that kind of cash... I think Mizzou continues to put itself in the forefront about what's going on in intercollegiate athletics. It's not just football. It's not just basketball. And uh, a banner year for this institution continues. Yeah, I mean, you throw in that uh, that gift with the 50-plus mil that was just handed out by the SEC for revenue sharing and uh, good, good times for Mizzou right now. I, I'll say this um, – one of the places Missouri was truly lagging in the SEC, whether you felt like it was a huge weakness or something that maybe wasn't that big of a deal, you need to get more bang for your buck, however you wanted to view it, they were severely behind when it came to fundraising, when it came to donation to the athletic department compared to the SEC peers and the heavy hitters that, it, that Mizzou wants to compete with. So something like this goes a long way. For that, um, it could, in some ways, inspire other people to get on board. I was very glad to find out 
from uh, my research and reporting that it wasn't from Stan Kroenke. Um, I think a lot of people just assumed that, which, believe it or not, there are other rich people that care about Mizzou uh, that give big amounts of money. Um, the bulk of it's for the stadium, right? But uh, there is, I think, like, what, uh, $12 million of it is earmarked for NIL, which can go a long way. I mean, you put that in the right kind of money-generating spot, and let it create returns that you then use to break apart and help pay players. Uh, that helps a ton in terms of attracting talent, keeping people out of the transfer portal. So yeah, it's a big deal for Mizzou to get this. And um, it's more money that they can hopefully put to use smartly. Um, you know, it's going to be this race now, this push pull between donations of, do you give to the athletic department for stadium upgrades and facilities and coaching buyouts or do you give specifically toward nil and and i think you're seeing you're going to see more and more examples of this where big donors are saying i'm going to do both or i'm going to split it and 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 pinpoint you know some here and some some toward nil but the fact that the nil money is growing at mizzou is one of the big reasons we're seeing you know improved recruiting in football um, one of the reasons that this case had such an encouraging class coming in um, in, in future seasons. So this stuff matters and, and it's a, it was a big win for Mizzou. And it made national news, Ben, it's, you know, 60 plus mil. That's not the kind of figure that just gets thrown around randomly. There are big name donors, of course, at, at the blue blood institutions, Ohio state, Alabama, you name it. But when you, when you see a number, a figure like that, those are the type of donations that wind up in the blue blood schools. Yeah, I mean, you want to compete in the SEC, you got to have some some big money coming in um, on a regular basis. And Missouri, I'm sure, doesn't want to go as long as it did without a donation like this. Um, I think it's probably someone who's given money to the university or to the athletic department in a big way before, um, and, and maybe there's, there's more coming. I, I don't know, but uh, I do think it's a good sign that uh, Missouri has talked about needing to – close the gap in terms of fundraising in terms of donations in terms of funneling money into its programs and when you get a you know a record amount that can that can really give that snowball a push down in the in the, in the positive direction because you're in you're in the big pond the the sharks are only going to get bigger and the money's only going to get bigger especially as you know the, the NCAA whether you love it or hate it it's on this NFL-like trajectory where it's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger until it either gets too big to go away or blows up. <laughs> That's just the reality. <laughs> so the, to, to, to keep up, you've got to find more. Uh, that's the message that's beat into donors, and um, some seem to be uh, hearing the call. It's Ben Fredrickson. I'm Brendan Weesey. It's our Mizzou game plan on the Big 550 KTRS. We're going to visit with Chris Roseman from the St. Louis Sports Commission when we come back. Friday night heights, Mizzou gymnastics in town coming up for Zoo to the Lou. Details on the way here on your home for the Tigers, the Big 550 KTRS. Our Mizzou game plan show continues here on the Big 550 KTRS with Ben Fredrickson. I'm Brendan Weesey, and it's a pleasure to welcome back to the program. He is the senior vice president with the St. Louis Sports Commission as they get set for the finale of the Zoo to the Lou series next week, Friday Night Heights. 
gymnastics at the Family Arena in St. Charles. It'll be Mizzou, it'll be Florida, Illinois, and even Lindenwood from right in their backyard out there in St. Charles. And Chris Roseman is with us to uh, give us all of the inside scoop as uh, Mizzou Gymnastics comes to town. Chris, it's great to visit again, sir. How are you? I am doing great. It's a great Friday, and what a great introduction to a to a wonderful conclusion to the Mizzou to the Loose series as we welcome Mizzou Gymnastics to town next next Friday night. Yeah, it's going to be a big deal, and Chris, I know it, as you guys have meticulously put together this Zoo to the Loose series, I know this was one that was kind of like that hidden gem, right? Because everybody's excited about football and, and the wrestling there at um, at, at Stiefel right before Brangen writes. This was always that event. It was sort of sneaky, but we knew the potential for this to make such a big impact. Yeah, it's all due to Coach Walker up at Mizzou. Um, Coach Walker, who's over the Mizzou gymnastics program, has really got that program rolling. Um, you know, he came. You know, we came to him with the idea. He came to us with the idea. Shannon, Coach Shannon Walker is actually from St. Louis, and um, he's been trying to get back here and uh, for a while. And uh, he found the right opponent. Uh, he's got the. You know, he, he started with the University of Florida, who uh, who's coming in another SEC opponent, and he also got. Illinois, and then he didn't stop there. He brought in Lindenwood. So we got four great teams, you know, three with, you know, regional connections to regional and local connections to the area, and a Florida team that is just stacked with with uh, world champions and uh, future possible future Olympians, and it's just going to be a great night of competition. And college gymnastics is a little bit different than, you know, what we've done in the past. You know, we, we did collegiate gymnastics uh, with the SECs and the NCAA championships before, um, and we, when compared to USA gymnastics, it's a little, it's, a, it's the team effort is really cool. The team atmosphere is really cool. Um, because in addition to what you see on the apparatus, whether it's the floor, it's the teammates are around the apparatus cheering them on and the crowd gets into it. And it's really a great atmosphere for, for the student athletes. And it's, we have, uh, we have Friday night heights on regularly in my household. My wife is a big gymnastics fan and, and I've gotten pulled into it. And you're absolutely right, Chris. It's, it's not, we think of the Olympic gymnastics and it's quiet in terms of very focused, very serious until there's a chance to, you know, celebrate an event after it's over. College gymnastics is like a party. It's almost like a, a pep rally. There's more energy, there's more flair, there's more crowd participation and enthusiasm for folks who haven't been to one of these. It, it has life to it that, maybe doesn't normally get associated with gymnastics yeah if you don't walk out of uh, out of a gymnastics college event with a smile on your face there's something wrong with you it's it's just that you know there's a there's a little bit of glitter uh, there's a there's a lot of smiles there's a lot of dancing around the edges and um there's a lot of music i mean there's i didn't i didn't realize this so i, I went and saw the lsu match a couple of weeks ago, when they had 7,000 people at Hearns, which was unbelievable. You know, they had uh, LSU, Mizzou, and Mizzou wound up beating number three LSU that night. Uh, but, you know, they have music, of course, on the floor, but they some of the um, student-athletes have have music while they're on the beam, which is pretty cool. It, it kind of soothes them, and they kind of get into a rhythm. So it's it's a little different um, than, uh, than USA Gymnastics in that level, but, gosh, it's entertaining as heck. And we've learned that, uh, well, we've learned a few things. The SEC's got great gymnasts. Missouri is nationally ranked. They're a top 15 program. Um, the, every program in the SEC seems like they're in the top 
20. Um, and this is a chance to see some of the best doing it up close. What have you learned over your years working for the sports commission about just the enthusiasm interest level in gymnastics here regionally? Because to me, it's kind of like one of those sports like wrestling where when there's a big event, whether it's the U S gymnastic trials, which you guys landed, which had record crowds, or I can remember seeing Simone Biles for the first time in person at the, the one of the PNG events at Shafitz thinking, well, this is pretty cool. How many times you get to see one of the best to ever do something, you know, and you're and you're close enough to, to watch it, you know, where you can where you can actually see the chalk dust flying off when she does events um, of her hands on the bars or something like that. Um, what what's what have you learned about the the enthusiasm energy level for gymnastics here in the St. Louis area over the years? You know, whenever we do wrestling or whenever we do gymnastics at a high level, you know, with uh, whether it's USA Gymnastics, NCAA's, SEC, or, or Mizzou, Florida, Illinois, and Linwood, we always we always bring in our gymnastics community. Uh, they're 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 just a wonderful group of of clubs that are in the area, and uh, they always step up, and they always um, they're always there to support the event. So. You know, that's one of my favorite things about working these events are the people that you get to know behind the scenes. And, you know, yeah, yeah we all know uh, Simone Biles, but gosh, you know, working with our with our gym clubs and, and with our venues. And uh, that's that's one of my favorite things about producing these types of events. So just those relationships that we've had. I've been doing this for 24 years. My second event was the John Hancock uh, Gymnastics Championships when they were called the John Hancock before P&G. Um, but you know, it was the same thing then. It was just, it was that group of volunteers. I mean, they all volunteer their time to make this thing go. Um, and just those relationships and that connectivity. I mean, those, a lot of those volunteers, those groups, those gym clubs, they all know each other. Um, they grew up with each other in the gymnastics community. So it's just so nice to tap into, to tap into that, um, that resource, those relationships to make these events so special. Um, and this one's just going to be as special as ever with uh, with Mizzou coming to St. Charles. Chris Roseman, Senior Vice President with the St. Louis Sports Commission with us, our Mizzou Game Plan Show, Friday Night Heights, Mizzou to the Lou, gymnastics in town a week from tonight at the Family Arena. And Chris, isn't it fun to, to have these crown jewel events that are, again, are, are the sports that maybe we don't always have at the top of mind and a, a, a gymnastics event that I mean, helps showcase the fact that the Mizzou Athletics Department, it is more than football and men's basketball. Yeah, the Mizzou to the Lose series, we started the Mizzou to the Lose series on September 10th, actually, a couple weeks before Mizzou football. We hosted um, Mizzou soccer That's against right. Missouri State out yeah. of Worldwide Technology Soccer Park. And, uh, gosh, we had a great crowd that Sunday afternoon, saw a great game, saw some wonderful soccer with a ton of St. Louisans um, that were on both teams and uh, saw Mizzou walk away with a 2-0 victory. But what a great day that was. You talk about girl power. That We had tons of girls in the stands. Uh, you know, we, we worked with hand-in-glove with, uh, with Slice, and they scheduled a bunch of youth soccer games, youth girls soccer games around the event. So, it just had a great atmosphere, and it was a great way to kick off the event. And then we had to the dome, you know, two weeks later, and and uh, knocked that one out of the park with with Mizzou beating Memphis, and and then you know wrestling at Steeple Theater, the first ever sporting event at Steeple Theater was was and Mizzou wrestling with against Illinois the night before bragging rights, just about sold that out. And 
you know, we're going to get close to, to a sellout with this, with the uh, Mizzou to the Blue Quad, we're calling it. And, um, you know, you combine all those events, there are 55,000, 60,000 people have, have seen Mizzou athletics. And, and you know, Mizzou's won the first three, and let's, let's hope they can keep it going on, on, uh, on next week of February 16th. What, what, what do you anticipate the fan experience being like there at the family arena on Friday? Electric. I mean, you know, what you, we, it's kind of plug and play, right? So family arena does a great job. You know, we've had numerous meetings with them, um, kind of let them know that there's a, a presentation value that Mizzou expects, you know, with their, with their events. And um, there's going to be a great show. They've done a lot of hard work. The family arena staff has been working hard. Mizzou staff has been working hard. You know, whenever you take an event off campus, it's a little challenging for the Mizzou staff to kind of lift everything up and, and put it into a dome or steeple theater or family arena or worldwide technology. And, um, you know, Mizzou's done, you know, Mizzou's not just a, a bystander in this. They, they, they throw a lot of resources at these events to make them happen, to make them happen right. So it's going to be a great, you know, Mizzou-type atmosphere and um, we're looking to um, to hopefully do the series in the future. But you know, it's been a, it's been a really great run. And just thanks to the University of Missouri for allowing St. Louis to host these events. Brendan and I were fired up initially when we started talking about Mizzou to the Lou possibilities of maybe getting. We we're greedy, you know. We're saying, okay, we know the bragging rights basketball. That's awesome, and glad that it's that it's uh, that it's back and that it's up and running. And um, but we, we're selfish. We want another another hoops game here in St. Louis, uh, and we don't care if Kansas City wines. Um, so what are what are the chances here, Chris, of of maybe a possibility of of a renewed Mizzou to the Lou series, and and what do you think the vibes are, kind of as this one kind of winds down and everybody gets a chance to step back and say, okay, that was good. It was good to get Mizzou back here in various capacities. Do you, I feel like it's always harder to get something started than it is to keep it rolling. You think this is a chance to kind of become more of a continued thing? I absolutely do. I think we open their eyes, right? So I mean, you you, you never you never quite know how it's going to turn out. You never quite know how. Um, these events are going to do when they when they take them off campus and, and bring them to bring them to St. Louis, and it's always you know you always got to be careful of that, right? So uh, they have they have a lot of events in, in Columbia, but to answer your question, I I think it's been a great experience. Um, you know, there there were other events that we were looking to looking to add, but you know we 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 found four really good ones, and um, and I think they'll go back and they'll after gymnastics and they'll kind of evaluate uh, how that worked out and tweak it here and there and then hopefully we can see it back in the future but I, I think we nailed it on just about every event every event we did nail I mean it was every event was very successful and um, you know I think uh, if we if we just you know if we sell out next next week in family arena uh, in front of Friday Night Heights with 6,000 people there it's just gonna it's gonna be really fantastic you've got one more event at least right now to to have a new moment but so far what's been your favorite kind of moment you put a lot of work into this and want to applaud your efforts and everybody on behalf of the sports commission and also Mizzou. And I think all of this kind of started at a, at a, at a, I believe it was a, was it a hot shots lunch that you had with uh, some Mizzou um, folks, officials and, and look at where it's, where it's come. What's been your favorite moment? Was it kickoff at the dome or wrestling at Stiefel or what's been kind of the moment where you got to sit back and say, okay, this is, this was worth all the hard work. God, it's funny you mentioned that because about now, <laughs> About two years ago now is where I met um, met Mr. Hewen up at um, at Hot Shots, and we uh, we shared a pretzel with some mustard, and uh, 
uh, we had it our own actually. Um, but um, you know, a couple of cokes and uh, yeah, so that's when it all started. But um, gosh, I'm a soccer guy, so I love kicking it off with soccer. Uh, you know, but that you know that 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 uh, Memphis Mizzou game was off the chart. That that college football atmosphere that we haven't seen in 13 years in downtown St. Louis was electric. The tailgate was tremendous. The Tiger Walk was the best. Um, you, then you go to Seafell Theater and you almost sell out Seafell Theater and you're on, you know, we were on, we were streaming that night on national TV and just the show that was put on that night was terrific. And I, you know, I mean, we even got the gymnastics yet. So I, I can't pick a favorite. I just think they're all, they're all great events. Um, it was, you know, great for, for Mizzou, great for Mizzou fans, great for the student athletes, the coaches, the administration. I, I think it was just a, you know, a slam dunk all the way through. Chris, what can folks do if they want to go see Friday Night Heights, Mizzou to the Lou at the Family Arena next Friday? Well, you know, we've got we got a couple tickets uh, on sale. They're $10 or $15. Um, so you head to Ticketmaster.com uh, or go to the Family Arena box office and um, if, they're, if they're available on the night of the show. Uh, but um, that's where you get them. And there's more uh, information at uh, MizzouToTheLoo.com. It's all one word, MizzouToTheLoo.com. Um, that's where more information is. So we hope to have a packed house next week and, and show off Mizzou gymnastics and, um, and, uh, and just really enjoy a great night of, of competition. It's the Mizzou to the Lou season finale, if you will, next Friday there at the Family Arena Gymnastics with Mizzou, Florida, Illinois, and Lindenwood. Chris Roseman, Senior Vice President at the St. Louis Sports Commission. What a job they've done with Mizzou to the Lou. Chris, it's uh, always a pleasure, and it'll be another great celebration of Mizzou athletics next Friday up in St. Charles. Thanks, as always, for the time. Thanks, and have a great weekend. Chris, thank you so much. We're going to take a break. We'll come back. News on Gary Pinkle. Interesting news when it comes to the college football playoff and some coaching news that's late-breaking today involving Chip Kelly. We'll tell you about it next. Back on our Mizzou game plan, it's the Big 550 KTRS. Brendan Weesey, sports columnist from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, Ben Fredrickson. We're going to have college football Hall of Fame coach Gary Pinkle on with us next week to talk about the big news we learned about yesterday. The GP is going to be on the college football playoff committee next year. Ben, I got to tell you, there's nothing wrong with that. If you're a Tiger fan and you want Mizzou in the mix for the new expanded playoff starting next year, I guess, if I'm not mistaken, if you're somebody with connections to a certain school when that school is discussed in the room you may have to recuse yourself i know they've done that for the ncaa basketball tournament but pretty cool to have gp in the mix when uh, putting the college football playoff bracket together next year ben i've got a lot of questions for for gary about how this works and um i I think the immediate reaction you have is well it's great for mizzou and and Anytime you have somebody who understands your program, who can speak on its behalf, I think it helps. I also would guarantee you and I are going to hear a lot next week from Coach Pinkle about how his job is to be a, a neutral observer and to to watch all the games. And he will take this very seriously. He watches a ton of football. He's still incredibly tuned into the game, and he still thinks and watches like a coach. So my first reaction was that it's a great pick for the committee because they're getting a really smart football mind and thinker 
um, on their in their group, and that's good for for college football fans. That's good for everybody. It was a really good pick. Um, but in terms of how it affects Mizzou, I, I think anytime you have somebody who can uh, maybe point some things out that maybe other people don't know that much about, as this thing expands and there are going to be more and more teams getting in, I, I think it's probably a, a win for the committee. And in some ways, a it can't be a negative for Mizzou. And I'm really curious to ask exactly what you said is how does it work when they're discussing Mizzou's credentials and he's in the room or Michigan's credentials when their school president is the chairman, right? Because if they're making the call, then yeah, maybe you don't get involved, but you're talking, you're watching football and talking. That's how this works. And you can't leave every time there's a topic that relates to a team. So they try to spread out the allegiances and uh, you know, Gary can put on his neutral hat, but you know, you know what's in his heart and uh, that's going to be really interesting to hear how he thinks about that and kind of what they tell them when they accept the job and what the, what's expected of them. And it's going to be, I'll tell you what, it's going to be a challenge these first couple of years because I mean, they've done a, a lot of haggling over what this model is going to look. We know it's 12 teams, Ben. And I, I believe there's going to be is it it's at least five automatic qualifiers. Now I think it was going to be six, but that six was going to be the Pac-12. The Pac-12 no longer exists. So it's the, the this whole model is 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 curious to me. And as we get deeper into what we think are teams consolidating into just a few conferences, the process as to how we, or I should say how they, select these teams, I, I almost see it getting more convoluted as opposed to less. Because if you've got conference champions, and whether you agree with certain conferences having that ability to put teams straight into the playoff or not, that makes it kind of easy. Automatic bid, you win your championship game, boom, you're on your way. But when it comes to at-large bids, if there are more at-large bids available as this thing grows and develops, and and, and Gary, I believe, has a three-year term on this committee, I think after year two, this thing could start to really shake up again. Um, We know there's going to be 12 teams, at least we think, moving forward, but as as I said, conferences consolidate, Ben. It's going to make this uh, actually more complicated as we go along. Yeah, they're open, I think, to the idea of tweaking this um, based off of conference realignment, but I don't believe they've made any decisions yet. They've delayed the decision on if they're going to reduce the number of spots reserved for conference champions from six to five. Um, so they're still obviously planning on 12 teams, but uh, they are – According to reports of folks who are in the know, like Ralph Russo, who covers college football, does an outstanding job for the Associated Press, has written that the plan is that they're going to reduce the number of, of spots reserved for conference champions from six to five, starting with the 12-team playoff in 2024. They haven't done that yet. There are college officials on the record saying they don't expect this to be a uh, – uh, to, to not be changed, but it hasn't been officially done so yet. So until for now, the playoff format has spots reserved for six conference champions and six at-large picks. I'd expect that to change. Yes. Um, but again, this thing's going to be chasing conference realignment. And what we know is that, um, you know, we, we certainly know that conference realignment stops for nobody. No. Um, and in the college football playoff, I think it's just going to basically have to take the stance of every year it will have to 
analyze the landscape and, and feel like it's giving the, the most sensible format for the playoff in the 12 team structure that it can create. And, and it's going to have to be something that kind of follows the, the continued revolution of, of college football, because if it winds up being a super two, then having, you know, multiple or spots for other conference champions probably, probably don't make sense. Um, they're going to have to kind of uh, try to chase the chase down the, the cyclone that is college football realignment. And they're going to be basically probably having to update it a little bit almost annually at times. And isn't it a funny, Ben, to, to see how this has all you know, changed pretty quickly since Gary Pinkle was last in the mix for a college football national championship, 2007-2013. He was bo- both those years chasing the BCS, chasing yeah. mere, uh, a mere two spots. And obviously, if there's an expanded playoff in 7-13, and 13, he's in both of those playoffs, which will be something interesting to ask Coach next week how he feels about that. And uh, <laughs> granted, I mean, we're so – and that was so long ago, and it felt – I mean, back then we felt entrenched with two teams, not something that I was necessarily against. And now we've gone from 2 to 12. And I don't know if that illustrates how long Gary's been gone. I mean, it, it, it does in a way. But he has, he's still – we're still inside 10 years since Gary Pinkle left – the head coaching post at Mizzou, and we've gone from two to twelve since uh, since Gary left. Yeah, and things have changed a lot. I mean, just look at how the SEC has changed in that time. And uh, Gary will Gary felt the wrath of the BCS. You know, a year that they beat Kansas, and Kansas gets a better bowl game. Uh, I mean, I, I that's why I'm for the college football playoff. Get. 12 in and let, let them decide once you're in the seedings who cares um, get the 12 teams in then let the, the let the game sort it out and the more that can be sorted out on the field the less that can be sorted out uh, especially by committees or nebulous systems that don't take much accountability um, I think it's better if it's solved on the field and that's why I like the idea of the the 12 team playoff we can ask him this but i'm curious where how he thinks maybe some of his best mizzou teams could have done yeah in a format like that and also i'm curious to see what he thinks about just the there's something about being in the mix if you get into the college football playoff but don't go anywhere you're still in it for a for for weeks you have a chance to to stir the ideas of winning a national championship it's kind of like making the ncaa tournament albeit more exclusively, it does something to your campus. It does something to your program, to your recruiting. And I'm curious to, to hear what he thinks about that reality, that it's now going to be something that is expanded beyond kind of the four teams that everybody expects to be there every year. Gary Pinkle with us next week here on the Big 550 KTRS. And you'll get set to start next year, a three-year term on the college football playoff committee i would imagine he's years away from anything like this ben but uh chip kelly uh, we can now call him the former head coach at ucla he's he's leaving a head coaching position at a school that's joining the big 10 to take an offensive coordinator's position at a school in the big 10 that being ohio state there's there's a big part of me that understands this ben and there's another part that really kind of doesn't it this almost in a way sounds like when frank haith left mizzou got out of dodge to go take the head coaching position at tulsa he felt like you know maybe his time was getting short 
And before he could get fired, he'd just leave and, and take a new job. That kind of feels like what Chip Kelly's doing here. And it's obviously a step down from head coach to offensive coordinator. But it is Ohio State. So, it again, I, I've got mixed feelings on what exactly this means. Yeah, I guess what it looks like to me is he's just burnt out on UCLA. There were some calls for him to get fired last right, year. right. And maybe that ticked them off. He, it's not. I mean, I'm sure the money will be just fine at Ohio State. They're paying a million and a half to get him to leave this head coaching job. It's. I doubt it's about the money for Chip Kelly. He's made a whole lot of it. He's real close with Ryan Day. They're pals. Uh, they've worked together, and I think there's a fondness there. Ryan Day was his and quarterback maybe, at New Hampshire. Yeah, may, maybe maybe Chip Kelly just wants to call ball and not deal with all this head coaching crap. I mean, it may be just a case I, I, of that. I get it, yeah, that's He's part like, of I'm it. I'm just over it. Let me go coordinate offense, not have to deal with NIL as much. Um, these people are getting tired of me. I got people calling for my job. It's going to be tough to win at UCLA. You got to go to Rutgers and play. Like, eh, I'll just go to I'll just go to <laughs> Ohio State and be a normal Big Ten school, right. get paid really well to have a, do focus on what I want to do. Two kind of curious moves, him – going there and also the Bill O'Brien decision like Bill O'Brien's going to Boston College to be the head coach he probably had a better job at Ohio State as a, as a coordinator but it's about what you want yeah. you want to be a head coach or do you want to be a coordinator this just to me sounds like Chip Kelly's like yeah I know what I like now I don't need to have the ego of being the head coach I want to call plays I want to work with elite players um, I he interviewed for some NFL jobs running the Ohio State offense is borderline an NFL job and maybe now he just gets to do less media and focus on the part of the job that he actually likes. And Bill O'Brien, by the way, Ben, he gets the job at Boston College, as you mentioned, and he'll be taking Boston College through Columbia next year to play Mizzou. Eli Drinkwitz versus uh, versus Coach O'Brien. We'll see if Eli has a has a wisecracker too uh, about him. <laughs> maybe if he's coming off a pretty good season, so he might have his equips ready to roll come uh, SEC Media Day, but. Uh, Man, it, it it's interesting. UCLA is not what it once was in terms of people assuming that everyone's just going to go there and immediately become heroic winners. I mean, when Chip Kelly went to UCLA, it was kind of like, okay, it's just here they come, and it just didn't really materialize. I don't know that he was as bad as some of his biggest critics thought he was. I, I, is UCLA becoming a place that's hard to win? That's odd. It shouldn't be. Um, but we're seeing it kind of on the basketball front, too. Mick Cronin's kind of feeling his seat warm up there. But it's kind of been a uh, disappointing phase in, in revenue sports for the Bruins when they there's really no reason they shouldn't be, be really competitive every year with what they can offer recruits and, and, and their campus draw. But uh, it's been kind of a down time for, for both sports for UCLA, entering a huge conference change. And, and, you, and you said it, though, Ben. Does this highlight maybe folks – not being all in on this move to the Big Ten. Does UCLA lose some of their allure not being able to play in the Pac-12 and and you know some of the edge they had as, as one of the kings of the Pac-12 in some regards, certainly one of the more attractive schools to recruit to, and now playing in the Big Ten. Uh, uh, again, a lot, of the, a lot of the perks of the job, Ben, that job, it did get a lot tougher going to the Big Ten, and not just because of the competition, but geographically. It's... It's kind of, I mean, I, I, in lack of a better uh, way to describe it, kind of, it's going to be a pain in the butt for these coaches to uh, coach and recruit 
at UCLA coaching in the Big Ten. I think it goes in a way to the same deal at USC, Washington, and Oregon. Yeah, there's a, there's a certain um, trend. I don't know if it's if we're going to see it. I don't know if it's if it's right to connect the Chip Kelly job change to the Nick Saban retirement, but I would have a hard time blaming some of these guys who've made their money, who've had success, who who don't need it for their uh, for their bank accounts if they look to get out or have sort of more kind of uh, life-preserving and time-protecting pivots to some degree. Right. This I don't, I don't I, I've never talked to Chip Kelly. I don't I don't know his thinking. The way this reads to me just looks like a guy who said enough. <laughs> I know what I like to do. I don't want to deal with this other stuff anymore. <laughs> and I'm going to go I'm going to go re- press refresh in a place where I can really focus on the things that interest me. And it's good for Ohio State, a great, great, for Ohio a great State. hire for Ohio State. Um, but uh, if you're UCLA, it kind of makes you go, man, what are we doing wrong here? And then who's going to come fix it? Been a heck of an offseason since they lost to Mizzou in the Cotton Bowl. Everything falling Ohio State's way from the recruiting, uh, from the transfer portal to the recruiting trail and now landing um, a maybe the best offensive play call they're out there and now he doesn't have to worry about any of that other stuff like you said just call ball ben and yeah big win today for the buckeyes who who replaces him no idea yeah it's interesting coaching carol coaching carousel revs right back up here again (laughs) it's it never ever dies and here we are just about ready to enter mid-february we've got to take a break ben Uh, other side of the top of the hour Eli Hoff is going to join us to talk Mizzou hoops, Mizzou football. We'll uh, dig into some hoops talk as well. It is our Mizzou game plan here on the Big 550 KTRS. It's hour two of our Mizzou game plan of the Big 550 KTRS. Eli Hoff covers the Tigers for the Post-Dispatch. Ben's great colleague will be with us here in a little bit to talk some Tiger basketball and a little Tiger football as well. Mizzou, Mississippi State tomorrow night right here on the Big 550 KTRS as Mizzou once again will try to do what's been the impossible, Ben, and that's win a Southeastern Conference game. Mississippi State with... I think he was preseason player of the year, Tolu Smith. Mississippi State's been good, not great, but they do have size, uh, and that has been a big bugaboo for the Tigers that's been difficult to alleviate. We'll see if they're able to match up against this team, Ben. But, you know, certainly the injuries are piling up, and and something I've noticed here that I I do think is, is part of this equation, and it's, you know, the star power, the lead dog, the lead guard for Mizzou, whether it's been Tamar Bates or Sean East in a given game, that's been a constant, right? It, I, I guess we could say maybe a problem is that East and Bates haven't exactly had that glow up at the same time in the same game. But since Bates' emergence, it's not like East has struggled. He's he's taken more of a secondary role behind Bates. But those two guys, as the front men of this team, Ben, it's been con- it's been a constant. And man, if I would have told you before the season started, man, Tamar Bates, the transfer from Indiana, he's going to have at least a borderline first team All Conference caliber first ten games of, of of the year. And I think we'd both be like, oh man, this is great. That's exactly the replacement you were looking for from Kobe Brown. Have that guy lead the way, average about twenty points per game. That's huge. But what's been the problem, 
Ben, are, are the complementary pieces. And whether it's the fact that that Vanover hasn't clicked, whether it's been the fact that you're missing a number of guys due to injury, and that's a huge part of this thing, whether it be, and, and it's just straight up, the fact that Noah Carter and Nick Honor have taken a step backwards. I mean, that's just the God's to honest truth, and they've had their moments. Honor was pretty good a couple of nights ago, but collectively, those two have been a pretty big disappointment, and the freshmen are, are, are sort of being thrust into a spot where you almost have to play them more, and quite frankly, maybe they're just not ready to do their part. I, ben, I, I, in no way, shape, or form am I saying that's a, a, you know, an excuse as to why this team is sitting here without a conference win yet, but it's part of it because a big part and something that's different from the struggles under Conzo two years ago, they didn't have that lead dog, and they just quite frankly did not have the talent. There are some talented pieces on this team, but they're not getting the guys the second, third, and fourth banana like they had last year. You had five or six guys around Kobe Brown that had outstanding seasons, and usually two or three of them contributed on a given night behind Kobe, and it it didn't feel like one guy had to carry the load every evening. Right now it feels like Tamar Bates needs to score 40 for you to even have a chance because the rest of the contributors just aren't there. Yeah, there's really, um, it's not quite the lack, well, there, it's become a little bit of a lack of a bench help, but it's really more lack of starting supporting cast. Yes. And there have been times when they've got enough from Bates and East where if you just had kind of a, enough from the other guys, the other three starters, or maybe a six man, then you, you'd win a game or two by now. Um, they haven't, had a true Bates and East blow up game where both of them are just out of their mind and conscious together. We haven't seen that. Maybe that's asking too much. And now East is hurt. I feel like what's one of the things that's kind of happened is Dennis Gates was trying to figure out who to play. And then all of a sudden that's kind of turned into who is he able to play because of some of the injuries and issues. And mm, I'm not saying they would have won a bunch of games. They would have had everybody healthy, but it's kind of a it's kind of a double whammy because at times I think he's got a better feel for who he'd like to play now, but it doesn't mean they're always available or they're always healthy, and it's kind of starting to compound things. But they really haven't. I mean, they've had Bates go off for 36. They've had East score 21 in the loss to South Carolina. Bates has scored 30, almost 29 in the loss to Arkansas. I mean, they've had a lead scorer in – in the 20-plus point range in each of their last four games, in in five of their last six, in six of their last eight. Uh, That hasn't been their problem, is getting somebody to kind of jump in front of the scoring line. It's that nobody's followed. And I don't know if if that's good or bad. I, I don't know if... Are you better off having a team with a guy that you feel really good about maybe being your, your lead guard scoring option next year in Tamar Bates? Or do you wish you had a team that maybe you're one scorer away from a more complete team? I, I don't know. But uh, Bates, to me, has been the silver lining this year because he's back next year, and he's really responded well to the open invitation for somebody to, to go out there and, and treat this, this team like he can lead it. Um, but the fact that nobody's been able to kind of – fall in behind him consistently other than Sean East 
who is going to be gone next year and is now hurt, that has been a huge issue. It's bridging that gap from Bates to, to, to the kind of the supporting gore. I, they they lean so heavily on Noah Carter to be like their one post presence, right? And I feel like Carter, and, and maybe this is part of the equation with Noah, is that he's been miscast in this in this small big role, right? Where he's six 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 seven, trying to post up the the biggest most most athletic guys on the opposition. Where Noah's at his best out there on the wing, out there on the perimeter. I, I think. I think that's part of his struggles a little bit, but it's you know Dennis Gates has pointed out, hey, you know we score points in the paint, but they don't score points in the paint like you you would want to see, like shots at the rim, driving to the rim, trying to draw contact. It, it, what's also really difficult to watch about this team right now, Ben, and it, it it's a collection of not having your full complement of players that you feel like can get the job done minute by minute. The number of uncontested shots this team gives up at the rim, and if they're not giving up uncontested shots, men, they're fouling the other team in in the uh, in, in in the act of shooting. And that that to me might be even more disconcerting is that this team feels like the only way they can defend is by fouling. And that's that's really been tough to watch. Yeah, I think, and you're going to see it in this game against Mississippi State. They're a pretty strong rebounding team, and Missouri is one of the worst. Um, Mississippi State's offensive rebounding percentage is up around 35, um, percent which is top 30 nationally. Missouri's allowing opponents to offensive rebound at a 35 percent clip which is ranked about 350th in the country so there might be some seven or eight uh eight chance possessions for mississippi state in this game and the fouling percentage is something that i think dennis gates is going to have to look at um with the real candid lens this offseason and also the rebounding percentage because these are things that I think going into this year, Dennis Gates would tell you, hey, we're going to maybe get whistled for some fouls. We're trying to play aggressive. We're trying to create steals. We got to just own that. We got to get fouls. We got to get to the free throw line. And maybe if there's a more of a balance of that, you'd feel better about it. And he's also been quick to say, look, we're, we're never going to be a, a huge rebounding team. We, it's the way they play. But they still need to be improved. <laughs> and, and you just have to – you dig yourself such a hole if the shots don't fall and you foul too much and don't rebound. I mean, these are fundamental things, and I don't expect them to come out and be like, you know, lead the nation in rebounding. But some of the, the, I think, some of the things that were easy to overlook last year, maybe aren't are going to need to be tweaked a little bit in terms of style of play, in terms of style of players they're going after a little bit, or how they ask them to play, um, because of some of the results they're getting this year. Um, I, I have been encouraged that I think Dennis Gates is willing to tweak and adapt and evolve. Some, I mean, we've seen him throw some different things at the wall this year to see what sticks. We've seen different lineups. We've seen him bring out some zone. He's trying to find answers, and he's not stubbornly clinging to things that don't work. Some of the quests for answers haven't worked, but I'm curious to see after he gets a chance to reflect on all of this if we we maybe see some some changes to a little bit of the style of the play. I'm I'm curious about that, or if he doubles down and says we just got to get the personnel right. Well, that's the thing, getting the personnel, Ben, and that is what changes next year with this recruiting class. And as 
we've talked a lot about. We just don't know how those guys immediately impact. But here's the thing this next year's class brings. Athleticism and length. And we've seen a little bit of that. We've seen that with Jordan Butler. We've seen that in Trent Pierce, who hasn't played much lately. I think Anthony Robinson has it at the guard position. He's a long guard for for a a, a true point guard. He's got some length and athleticism. But you add even more to that next year. And, And this is where I think... The way you want to play defensively, where the athleticism and the length allows you to more aggressively defend those passing lanes, force those turnovers, get the live ball turnovers, and get the easy buckets. Because that has consistently been been what I've noticed the most is that that this team relies way too much on jump shooting. It, it, It... it, that goes against what Dennis Gates says. What, what you know, mid-range jump shots? No, shots at the rim and three-point shots. And too many mid-range jumpers, uh, I think, shows you desperation in a team that's not athletic enough to get to the rim. So next year, that's maybe the first step to see how things change and how things are will be different from this team. Is you've got to be at more athletic. But you know what? Go hand in hand. If you don't have skill with that athleticism, and that remains to be seen with, you know, a lot of these freshmen come in raw in a way like Pierce has been, like uh, like, like Butler has been. These guys are athletic, Ben. They're, they are long, but they are raw, and we're getting a glimpse of that, and that's what hopefully the consistent playing time helps Jordan Butler because he's gotten that here lately. He's raw around the hoop. His offensive game near, needs work, uh, but hopefully these reps – by the end of the season means that Butler's ready for a breakthrough next year, and and, and hopefully that's the, the same for Anthony Robinson and Trent Pierce. Yeah, I think they need somebody in the transfer portal with seasoning and experience who can come in and be, for lack of a better word, kind of mean. I, I think they need somebody who's got some size and somebody who's got some weight and somebody who's got some, maybe not somebody who's, who doesn't fit in their system but somebody who can throw their weight around a little bit in the post and get some of those 50-50 rebounds. Um, and maybe it simply is just plugging in a more aggressive and physically capable rebounder. Asking true freshmen to come in and, and chip away at a massive rebounding deficit is asking a lot. Um, maybe there's somebody in the transfer portal who can who can kind of just instantly improve that for, for a year, for a year or two. We've seen some great kind of big, big men Mizzou transfers in the past. And unfortunately, I think the the one thing that can't be said is the Vanover, that the Vanover miss can't be blamed on injury. He doesn't fit the system. Um, he doesn't do the things that you'd hope a 7-5 guy would do. He was a little, you know, non-traditional, but the things that they were hoping to get, they're not getting. And I, I wonder if they could have gotten maybe somebody with a little more traditional physicality to that role if they would be if they would be in a little bit better spot just in being able to to hang a little bit in the rebounding margin i think that would be a big thing i mean i haven't added it up but second chance points third chance points that they're giving up it kills you when you're in close games and they're on the wrong side of it a lot so i'd like to see them we're you know we're going to talk beyond this waiting on the freshmen what can this team do to kind of turn the page on this thing before too long and targeting a couple players in the portal um, but making one of them somebody with some brute size and strength, I think that might be a good play. The scary thing about Vanover, Ben, is he was who Dennis Gates wanted. He said it, remember? Before he ever got him, he was like, I need somebody that can shoot the three that's long and that can block shots, a rim protector. He got that in Vanover. It's just Vanover yeah, is just not it. that he's just not that good. <laughs> right? It's I mean, the, the, the blocks that he's got are not 
I don't want to I don't want to cut away at one of the strings he has, but I mean they really need somebody who can go down into the thicket and come out with the ball, or or clean up stuff around the rim, and that's not. Maybe that was his game at his previous stop, but it's not in the SEC. No, no. And, and somebody who can do that, I think, would really benefit this team. Well, he struggled at Arkansas, and he took his game to the Summit League, where he had much more success, and it just hasn't materialized. Once he's gone, come back to the SEC, it's just not there, unfortunately, for Connor Vanover. We'll talk some more hoops. We'll talk some football. When we come back, Eli Hoff covers the Tigers for the Post-Dispatch. He's with us next. It's our Mizzou game plan on the Big 550. Brendan Weesey, Ben Fredrickson, pleased to be joined here on our Mizzou Game Plan show by the Mizzou Athletics beat writer, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, our good friend Eli Hoff. Eli, great to have you back on the show, sir. How are you? Doing well, doing well. It's it's always a good time to be on the program, so so excited to be back on once again. Yeah, and we got a, a lot to, to dig into, and, and Eli, we, we talked some hoops here in the start of the 8 o'clock hour. Tigers get Mississippi State tomorrow night, and and one of the themes that I've kind of been working on here, at least lately, is uh, you know, you know, part one of these struggles. How much of that can we attribute now to the injuries? And the injuries are, are getting more numerous. Sean East with the knee injury, and we'll see if he's able to go tomorrow. Uh, of course, on top of Caleb Grill and John Tanji, and and the effect that it's had with maybe some guys that weren't slated to get meaningful minutes having to to make up the difference right now where, where would you rank these uh the the three big injuries for mizzou as as a reason why they're sitting right now without a win in the sec yeah i think it's it's certainly been impactful i i don't know if it's impactful to the degree that this team would you know it's not that you could make a case that mizzou would have 10 wins in sec play if they had all these players available right because a, a lot of them have played in certain capacities and this team still struggled then most players were healthy for for that jackson state loss for example or the loss to memphis that was very early on in the season so that's there but i do think when you look at injuries when you when you look at the group who was out for uh, for this this most recent loss against a&m you look at sean east caleb grill john tanjay jesus carolo martin and trent pierce those are five guys who you could have made a case that that group of five would have been a starting lineup at some point in the season when we were talking about this team in the preseason. So in that sense, yes, there is an impact, but this team may may not be that much better if these players had been on the floor all along. And it felt like Mizzou had this during the first half of these struggles, the start of the conference season, maybe even the first six or seven games that they were losing, obviously. But it felt like they were in every game. Those first couple home games, you can argue they should have won. At a couple of road games where they, they came painfully close only to fade maybe in the last five or six minutes where the offense disappears. I, I, I start to get a sense right now, uh, Tamar Bates, when healthy, Sean East, these guys have been tremendous, but it's the supporting cast, whether it's Nick Honor and, and Noah Carter having to carry uh, heavier loads than they were accustomed to, and other guys just not being up the snuff. I mean, that, that box score a couple of nights ago, Eli, that was, that was pretty rough to look at because you had the big night by Bates and even Honor chipping in. Carter had 11, and 
just a massive drop off after that. And I, I mean, I'm really starting to believe that a huge part of this is you've got the star players, you've got the all conference players doing their thing, but it's been the secondary pieces that just haven't been there for this iteration of Dennis Gates basketball. No, no, they haven't. And, and that's what makes the team so difficult is that it was built around the concept that a lot of these depth players would be able to contribute, or at least enough of them would be able to contribute in any given game. And, and you look at this, this group of players on any given night, Shawnee's and Tamar Bates can combine for, it's pretty safe to say they can give you 35 points. And if you say you want to have score 70 points to feel pretty good about winning, that's half your points. But you start to look at the rest of these players to try to make up that other 35 points. And, and it's tough because it seems like either Nick Honor or Noah Carter can give you something, but they, they don't seem to, to both be on very often. You're getting nothing out of that center spot, whether it's Connor Vanover, Aiden Shaw, who, whoever is starting down there, Jordan Butler, it, they're not giving you much offensively. And, and that's just been a, a real concern. So then when you take out Shawnees with an injury, there goes a lot more production. Uh, even a guy like Tamar Bates, he'll play 38 minutes, but he has to sit down sometimes. He can't be the guy creating something on every possession. Sometimes somebody else has to do something for him. He is human still, after all. And, and that's where this team just has, has really struggled to get much going. Eli, this is a non-analytical box score type question, but you're there covering these games. You're talking to Gates, the players, more than anybody. What's the like the vibe? Um, is this team losing hope? Is it becoming downtrodden? Is it is it finding reasons to be upbeat or understanding that this is going to pay off in seasons to come? I mean, where are they at mentally? It feels like watching some of these games. The one thing we could say earlier this year was like they're competitive. The fight is there. I don't think their effort is lacking, but the games have become at times less competitive. We've seen them, some games get away from them. It's really hard to keep that kind of consistent fight when you're never getting that reward in the standings. Um, what's the what's the feel around the team right now at this point in the season where it's kind of starting to, to get it's getting late early without a win under their belt? Yeah, you can you can tell after the game when when these losses wear on players. I think even uh, after Tamar Bates had that it was at 36, 38, whatever he he dropped against Florida when he had that career night. He, he did not have the look of someone who just had a, a career night afterwards. He just looked tired, weary, frustrated. You can you can keep listing out the adjectives there, and, and so you can see that even after that loss to Vanderbilt, uh, Noah Carter was uh, emotional in the post game press conference talking about how. The team had just wanted to, to finally get a win and, and to do it for uh, for assistant coach Dickie Nutt, who's who's stepping away for cancer treatment, and that you could you could tell it had worn on him that they weren't able to get that done. So you can see that there. But what is also remarkable about this team, and, and this is probably something that's attributable to to Dennis Gates and what he's built here, is that they're not coming out flat in any of these games. In in even the times where they go down by double digits. They're finding a way to come back. You look at Texas A&M. They ended the last eight minutes of the first half with with one field goal that was scored at 7.54, and then they didn't make a basket the rest of the first half. What do they do? Come out in the second half and find a way to close it down to three points before, of course, it devolving back into a 19-point loss. But the, the effort is there, which is what's remarkable, and, and maybe that's what makes this thing even worse for the players in the immediate aftermath. When you and I've been on this bandwagon as much as anybody have played the young guys, get them the experience, and 
it sounds like Gates is willing to do that, but he's also having a hard time doing it because some of those injuries, some of those issues that have limited guys' availability have been happening to some of the players that he would probably be willing to start playing a little bit more. It seems like that's been a little bit of a double whammy is right as around the time when he was willing to say, okay, it's time to start thrusting some other guys forward a little bit more. He hasn't been able to do that quite as much as he would have hoped. No, he, he really hasn't. And, and you've seen that the opportunity is there for a guy like Jordan Butler, who's been healthy and able to take advantage of it. He's he's demonstrated an ability to, to bring some defensive impact and found his way into the starting lineup. Uh, Trent Pierce is someone who who he, he started that bragging rights game against Illinois and, and would certainly be part of this, but he's he's missed the last three weeks uh, with an illness that's had some just lingering effects that have complicated things for him. So he, he warmed up this week against A&M. Uh, I'd expect a, a return as possible against Mississippi State. And then for Anthony Robinson, the point guard, he's gotten some minutes, but has had some time away from the team uh, with the passing of his grandmother, who he was very close with. And, and that's where you start to remember that these are, are freshman kids navigating real life. And so a situation like that, it's it's hard for him, even when he is on the court, uh, to be to be maybe as locked in as he'd like to be, especially as he's still growing and settling into the game. So all of those things make it so that, that Dennis Gates maybe can't even play the players he wants to have, uh, even when he when he has them available. We're visiting with Eli Hoff. We're talking Mizzou basketball. We'll dig into some football as well here. It's our Mizzou game plan on the Big 550 KTRS. And something Ben and I have talked a lot about, Eli, is just trying to find a way at this point. It, it's it's tough to try and conceptualize the the still several weeks of this season left and instead of looking towards well next year it's about all of these big recruits coming or you've got a guy in Tamar Bates that you've been able to discover that has got a great offensive game the the former Indiana transfer and just try to find a way for some small goals right I'm not even sure what those might be at at, at this point I mean how should we view success these next few weeks for Mizzou, if they can find any? Is it a matter of just straight up, I mean, coming out of the win column? Because that's, I know you wrote about it a few days ago. Is there a chance this team goes winless in the SEC? Yeah, well, there is. And and after that, that game against A&M was certainly one of the more winnable games when you look at chances of getting an SEC win. With right. a loss there, I was just looking at Ken Palm, which does the analytics on, on game predictions, they have a chance of a winless record in SEC play at 12.7%. Now it basically doubled uh, the chances of that after that A&M loss. So it's on the table, but but still very unlikely at this stage. So certainly getting an SEC win would, would mean not having a donut on, on, <laughs> on the record books, but is one win that much better than zero wins in the grand scheme of things? I don't know. Is three wins that much better? You know, Mizzou will still be finishing at the bottom of the SEC, be playing on that Wednesday uh, time slot in the SEC tournament and, and probably just have one game there. So I'm not sure how much that really matters. I think finding ways to, to keep establishing Tamar Bates and, and figure out what he can do as maybe a lead option going into next year will be something for this team and, and getting these freshmen involved again. Uh, I've been a, a, an advocate for playing the freshmen together. What does an Ant Robinson and Jordan Butler pick and roll look like? What is it, you know, what do they, what does Jordan Butler look like playing alongside Trent Pierce? These are all things that are valuable to start figuring out now so that there's a baseline for what that looks like in a game as these next five freshmen come in. And then also just for, for this coaching staff, starting to look elsewhere, find other players they like who might be in the transfer portal this offseason. You know, start watching the, the Mountain West games and see who the next John Tanjay might be of a player of that caliber that they might go after. But uh, in terms of, of actually winning games at this point, 
it seems like that matters less and less as the season wears on. Well, another one of those transfer portal guys that hasn't made the impact because he hasn't been out there is Caleb Grill. But when he was out there, I mean, I, I was a big, big proponent of, of this guy, Eli, and somebody that looked like he brought an edge, certainly had the defensive chops, and I felt like his game was really rounding into form right when he got hurt in that Wichita game, and that also kind of marked the where where this thing went off the rails for the Tigers, and their schedule got a lot more difficult, and that uh, aligned with the struggles, but what do you think the plan might be for Grill if they think he's ready to come back we've talked a lot about this do you possibly set him aside to come back on a medical redshirt possibly next year do you have him return if there are any games left to to see what he can bring with the probability that he probably wouldn't be able to get that medical redshirt then next year how how do you treat grill if he gets medically cleared yeah well i think well the the big testament to caleb grill's impact is that since he got hurt in that Wichita State game, uh, this team has one win and 13 losses uh, without him there. Again, is that drastically different with him on the floor? I don't know, but it's it's certainly part of the impact. The the plan all along, and, and even as recently as earlier this week, as Gates has said, is, is for Caleb Grill to come back. He's been in return-to-play conditioning, getting back up to the game speed, working on the range of motion with that wrist of his, uh, just to make sure it's going to be at game level. If it stays true to the original timeline, it's any game now that he could be back. But at the same time, every game that goes by here is is just one fewer chance for him to, to play. There's only eight regular season games left at this point. Is that worth it for a guy like him? I don't know. Part of the consideration, too, is what Caleb Grill wants. Does he want to come back for another year of college basketball? Or does he want to just go out in these last several games and then take his chances with whatever he views as the next step? That's that's part of it, too. And, and the risk of re-injury is always part of that as well. So I'm, I'm sure those are conversations that have been taking place over the last few months uh, but just again every game that goes by uh, just the the value for for Caleb Grill in returning seems to go seems to keep decreasing something you touched on but you mentioned the transfer portal and I, I understand and, and credit to Brendan who's been talking about this for a while now is like it's right and smart to say hey there's help coming in this freshman class that's ranked top five nationally but just looking at how some of the freshmen have had some growing pains this year is a good reminder that banking on freshmen alone is not it's not an immediate plan of improvement necessarily. It's a hard league to come in as a true freshman and an impact in a major way. We see exceptions to that at times, but it's not the norm. This team probably does need to have some successful moves in the transfer portal this offseason to, to get back toward the kind of performances that we saw last season compared to this season i mean is there a sense of of what they're going to have to be able to work with in terms of adding not incoming freshmen but maybe some a couple transfer portal additions here and there depending on what they feel like their biggest needs are some size and experience um perhaps maybe some of the some correction to some of the transfers that missed in this class yeah well i think you're you're right to point that out just because in modern college basketball, in today's college basketball, you see a lot of teams having success with these guys who are 22, 23, 24, and not 18 or 19 in, in their first or second season. So there will be an adjustment process next year for sure. It, part of the, the problem with the transfer portal 
is that because there are five freshmen coming in, those five will will pretty much automatically replace five players who are leaving because they're out of eligibility. So any transfer portal spot that is created this offseason likely has to come from a current player entering the transfer portal. Now, I think Mizzou fans are probably fine listing off <laughs> several names who they'd like to see <laughs> enter the portal. We'll see if that's actually how that plays out, right? right? It's, it's a lot more hard when there's actual human beings at stake there. So I, I think you may be looking at, at two on the low end, four on the high end spots for the portal. Uh, I think you're certainly looking for Dennis Gates to add somebody with some experience and size down in the post. Connor Vanover, uh, I don't think, was, was what a lot of people expected this year. So finding somebody who can bring some size both offensively and defensively down there. And then I think the other big priority is just going to be an experienced ball handler who can replace Sean East, who's been sure. been excellent in that regard. And that allows Tamar Bates, who's still going to probably be the leading leading role for next year but it allows him to stay off the ball a little bit and have somebody else who's going to do a lot of the creation there and then and then you can always help you can always help yourself by adding some more wings who can shoot guys like Caleb girl but healthy and, and that's always something that I think will be valuable in the portal who's one guy that uh, you want to see that you think is fair to say this guy needs to finish strong I'm kind of there with like uh, with an Aiden Shaw he's not a freshman um, he's now approaching the end of his second season I, I would love to see some sort of a flourish from him that suggests he's going to be a bigger part of of getting this thing on the right track this season there have been encouraging signs but he hasn't as come on as strong as as i would have hoped and there's still time i mean what you'd really like to see is more guys take a tomorrow bates turn not in terms of scoring you know, <laughs> a, a huge number of points not everyone's capable of doing that but but proving tomorrow bates has proven that he's a key piece for next year and there's an invitation for other guys to do that who are going to be back. Who, who are you kind of kind of watching extra closely as this thing winds down to see if they can kind of secure that spot ahead of time? Well, I'm, I'm going to copy your answer and say Aiden Shaw as well, because I think he's, he's very much the obvious one. He's had two years in Dennis Gates' system now, but hasn't really been much more than on offense, a lob threat, a guy who can cut to the rim and, and, you know, sometimes he's going up with the floater. A lot of times he's just going to go and dunk it. And, and on defense, he's emerged as a shot blocker, but he's not doing a whole lot in terms of one-on-one defense. He's not doing a whole lot in terms of defensive rebounding. It seems like uh, he, he has the physicality and the athleticism to go up for it, but sometimes it's just he's in the wrong spot uh, just when he goes up for the ball. So him taking the leap that I think Dennis Gates wants him to see wants him to take as a rebounder uh, would be big for him. And then also showing some offensive versatility he just doesn't shoot, and if, that, if that's something that he's just not going to have, if he's not going to have a jumper as a college basketball player, that's going to limit what he can be for this team in years going forward. If he can't do much with the ball in his hands, that's going to limit him. So so if he's going to have an expanded role at all, now would be the time for him to start experimenting with that, I think. Uh, otherwise, he's he's someone who you sort of start to wonder, what is he going to become as a college basketball player? as a college basketball player goes and whether that's something to do with his development or the way Dennis Gates wants to use him. We don't quite know that, but I think uh, he's, he's someone to watch both through the tail end of this season and then what decision he makes in the off season, as far as if he wants to transfer, if he wants to stick around in this system. We'll see how that process continues tomorrow night when Mizzou plays Mississippi state. Eli, I've, just, I've got one more for you and it's on the football side of things and what's been a tumultuous few weeks since the Cotton Bowl win for the Tigers and some uh, shifting, shuffling on the coaching staff. But I, I know a lot of folks may not be uh, super familiar with the new defensive coordinator, Corey Batoon from South Alabama. But 
it does look like here's Coach Drink coming out on the other side of this thing with obviously some folks with questions, but as Ben's pointed out a number of times, what Drink has been able to do identifying assistant coaches, identifying coordinators, whether it's at Mizzou or whether these guys prove it elsewhere, he's he finds talent and he finds guys that can get the job done. What do you make of, again, what has been a, a – an interesting stretch here as Drink builds his coaching staff back up. Yeah, I, I think Drinkwitz has really established a, a track record of making sharp hires just in terms of both Blake Baker and Kirby Moore, who guided this past season, all the way down to position coaches. You know, Steve Wilkes is maybe the exception to that trend, but but in general, he's he's made some really sharp hires with these coordinator spots. And, and Corey Batoon seems like the type of guy who, who fits the mold of what Drinkwitz is looking for. He's experienced. He has a little bit of SEC experience with Ole Miss, but has done a lot down at the group of five level, including South Alabama there. Uh, he's He's got a lot of versatility in terms of what he does schematically, and he's someone who can slot in, and he's not going to overhaul the defense. He's going to probably run a defense that's fairly similar to what Blake Baker ran and, and would have run this season, which I think is good for both keeping players around and keeping them engaged and just allowing them to keep some of the roles that they had last year for the returners or for some of these guys who were coming in portal-wise or freshman-wise, uh, what they were what they were expecting to do this year. So I think that's part of it. He also, we haven't had a chance to talk to him as reporters yet. Hopefully we'll have that soon. But he seems like a guy who, who brings a lot of energy and brings a lot of fire to this, which is a lot of what Blake Baker was very well liked in that locker room for. So in that sense, he seems like a fairly ideal replacement. Obviously, the, the biggest factor will just be what this looks like in next September, next August, and next fall as, as this defense really starts to come together on the field, though. Ben, anything more from you? No, sir, man. I, I just wanted to get your final thoughts on uh, what Darius Robinson was able to do for himself at the uh, at the at the at the Senior Bowl. It seemed like everywhere I looked, he was uh, the guy who was on the most improved list. We know Cody Schrader kind of showed the ability to catch passes, which is not a surprise to us, but maybe was to the NFL scouts. But safe to say that Darius kind of exited that week as a as a guy who maybe helped himself the most of anybody who showed up down there. Yeah, I think so. I'm writing the the story right now that'll be uh will be in the paper on Saturday about just the potential for Mizzou to have two players drafted in the first round in Ennis Rakestra and Darius Robinson. And and D Rob, as you said, Ben, really, really showed out that week down in Mobile at the at the senior bowl. He's someone who who I think wasn't he doesn't have the most eye popping tape or, or stats from this season, but a lot of these scouts and, and general analysts and, and media and all of that getting to see him work one-on-one against some of these other top prospects I think was really eye-opening for them. And, and one of the things, too, that hasn't been pointed out, and, and you all know this as people who have, who have talked to D. Robin, seen him operate, he's also just a good dude. And he's a guy who, who any GM or scout who sits down with him one-on-one, I guarantee is, is going to come away from that conversation wanting him to be on their team. And so uh, that element of the intangibles that inevitably factors into this draft process I think will also help him to combine all of that with sort of a, a weaker edge rushing class as a whole and, and he's certainly looking at someone who could be taken on the back end of the first round uh, but as a first rounder nonetheless Eli Hoff covers the Tigers for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch look for that story this weekend at the pages of the Post and online at stltoday.com Eli always a pleasure dug into a lot of stuff I appreciate your time and uh, we look forward to catching up as uh, the season and maybe off season for the Tigers uh, progresses thanks so much as always for the time for sure. Always a pleasure to come on. Have a good rest of your evening. 
Thank you, Eli. When we come back, we're going to make some picks for the weekend of college basketball. Unopposed tomorrow, obviously, a little football game Sunday limits the action, but we'll make some picks when we come back after this. All right, let's make some picks for this college basketball weekend. Last year's schedule, our last week's schedule, Ben, was fun. Some really big games, some great down-to-the-wire action. We'll see if it lives up to those expectations. Again, let's make some picks. Let's start with, how about the fight in the line, I've been Ranked number 10 there at Michigan State. This feels, this feels really big. It feels big for Michigan State, too. They're not on the bubble, but they've been less than dominant it's a home game uh, to me this feels like one of the games of the day yeah kind of sneaky sneaky big game and in, in some ways because michigan state's favored by by two and a half points on a plane at home that's college hoops and but you'd think that that this would be maybe just a, a toss-up game but it's interesting to me a little bit that that michigan state is is a two and a half point favorite um illinois has been They've been playing well. They've been they've been winning close games. They just beat Nebraska in overtime. They took care of Ohio State and uh, and, and created lots of consternation there. This is they're on a three game winning streak. They've, they haven't lost since losing to your Northwestern Cats in uh, in overtime on the road. Other than that, they've won what five out of their last six. Terrence Shannon is back, so they're rolling. They're a top ten team, but. The odds makers think they're going to go to Michigan State and catch an L, and it's hard to, to pick against Michigan State in a, in a home game like this as we start to get deeper and deeper toward the biggest part of the year. This feels like kind of one of those games where everybody starts to see, okay, here comes the Spartans. Um, I'm going to pick Michigan State in this game. I like Illinois, and it feels like Michigan State, I just can't put a finger on them right now. And Illinois has shown they can win on the road, they can win at home, Michigan State's obviously a different team at home. They're a better team, but they haven't done much here recently other than beat Maryland and Michigan, and those are a couple of middling teams in the Big Ten. I also don't know how good the Big Ten is, but win or lose, I know Illinois is a legit team. They can lose tomorrow yep. and feel fine about where they're at. I, I, I think they get this done. I like Illinois, but I, I think it's going to be a great game tomorrow in the Big Ten up in East Lansing. Michigan State undefeated. Nope, not Not, not at home. No, they've lost twice. James, haven't lost James Madison in Wisconsin. At, haven't lost at home since uh, since what is it? Wisconsin, they lost to Wisconsin yeah. in December, right? Yep. But they haven't lost home since. They have not. Okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Michigan State here. Right. I feel like this is the Tom Izzo game where everybody remembers. Oh yeah, it's it's, it's about to be March, and Tom <laughs> yeah. Izzo's guys are gonna have it locked in. I get you. I like the Illini. How about number twelve Auburn at Florida, Ben? Well, I don't really know how you pick against Auburn these days. Um, they're they got the best, I think, scoring margin in the SEC. And uh, look, I love to pick against Auburn. It's like one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite pastimes. But they're they're really putting a hurting on teams. And uh, and Florida's I don't know that Florida's a, a bad team, but I don't trust Florida. I think I think Bruce Pearl and his Tigers keep going. I like Florida. I like their 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 ability to score. I think they're getting slowly but surely getting closer to that team I thought they were lost by one point at AM last weekend before that beat Georgia Kentucky in overtime of course one at Mizzou beat Mississippi State at home I think Florida's rounding in the form I like the Gators and Auburn coming off an emotional win over Alabama and that's always huge let's see if they can uh, maybe fall under a little hangover here I like the Gators in Gainesville 
been to get this done. How about Gonzaga, Kentucky? Weird out-of-conference game down in Lexington. Yeah, strange timing. How do you see this one? Uh, okay. I've correctly predicted Kentucky was going to lose to Tennessee. Um, and now I'm going to uh, I'm going to swing back in the other direction here, and I'm going to pick Kentucky to beat Gonzaga. Um, I'm, I'm not quite as high on Gonzaga this year as I have been in, in past years, I think as, as, as a lot of people have been in past years. You, applause for Brendan, correctly predicted the Gonzaga loss to St. Mary's. We haven't had a chance to talk about that, I don't think. So you get a shout-out there two-point loss to, to, to St. Mary's, which you've been you've been all over St. Mary's this season. I think Kentucky takes him down next um, in, in this game and uh, maybe in some ways uh, dents the Gonzaga hype for, uh, for March. Gonzaga needs this badly because they've got nothing on their at-large resume. It may come down to them winning the West Coast Conference. They're certainly, certainly going to need to beat St. Mary's on the road. They don't play enough defense, Ben. I think Kentucky runs up and down the floor. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Wildcats put a hundo on the board here. I like Kentucky at home over the Zags. How about a fun one in the Big 12? Number 13, Baylor at number 4, Kansas. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't look at I think Kansas is uh, the Big Twelve is brutal. Oh my gosh! <laughs> they're just they're just beating the just beating the heck out of each other. But uh, it's in Kansas, right? It is. Well, you know my pick. I don't pick against the Jayhawks when they're at home, no matter what, because they're always going to get about two to fifteen points um, from some uh, from some home cooking in the officiating side, and they are coming off of a a very motivating, I would say, loss to Kansas State on the road so they're going to be fired up they're going to be locked in and and i think they're going to probably uh take down baylor at home here love baylor's guards ray j dennis their freshman jacoby walker jalen bridges is kind of a uh, a hybrid wing uh, forward kind of guy not a ton of depth though with the bears i think they make this close but i do like kansas i've learned my lesson after picking houston there last weekend ben give me the jayhawks at home but really like baylor win or lose tomorrow much like illinois i think baylor's a team to watch in march for sure and hey let me pitch this at you yes um big 12 best basketball conference in the country yes and uh been so for a while taking a step back Yes, Big Ten is yeah. Big Ten is vulnerable. Big Twelve is stacked, and they're going to be stacked for a while with the uh, teams coming in. And remember, Arizona arrives next year along yeah, with Utah, right. Arizona State. Look out! That Big Twelve is only going to get better. Ben, real quick, Mizzou, Mississippi State tomorrow. How do we see this playing out? Look, man, I can't do it. I've been trying to pick the wins for Mizzou. Missouri doesn't rebound. Mississippi State does. Period. And until Missouri can can prove me wrong and go win a game in which they're going to give up a lot of rebounds, then uh, then I got I got to pick Mississippi State here. I don't feel good about it. I don't like to do it. But, uh, man, two teams that have very drastically different approaches to rebounding, I'm going to go with the team that does it well. Yeah, great rebounding team in Mississippi State. Uh, Tolu Smith, uh, after uh, injuries early, he has been back, and uh, he has been very good coming off a 19.12 rebound performance in a win against Georgia. Uh, this guy is back to his old self. I'm gonna pick. I've been I've been just riding Mizzou, and they haven't gotten it for me. So hopefully, a little reverse jinx, giving Mississippi State, <laughs> and maybe Mizzou will uh, come out on top tomorrow. Yeah, put us on the bulletin board, and uh, and and we'll gladly uh, we'll gladly take that to to talk about something different for a change. How about that. 
Ben, I'll talk to you on uh, on Super Sunday here in uh, in just a couple of days. Sounds good, man. Looking forward to it. That's Ben. I'm Brendan. That's our Mizzou game plan here on the Big 550. Don't forget, Tiger coverage starts tomorrow night at 7, tip-off, 7.30 against Mississippi State here on the Big 550.